Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Mitra Yakubi, the recently elected chairperson of the Canadian Federation of Students, Ontario. If we talked about Ontario public schools last week, then it should follow that we talk about Ontario post-secondary issues this week. Think about this. The class of 2022, the ones receiving their degrees and diplomas this spring, are the last class of Ontario post-secondary students to know what it's like to enjoy a full year of the university or college experience without COVID-19. The pandemic generation, if we can coin such a phrase here and now, are coming of age, and they're bringing with them the scars and accomplishments of surviving the experience. But are they feeling seen in this provincial election? We're going to ask one of their representatives. Student life in this election is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Let's consider the last four years for post-secondary students here in Ontario. Pre-pandemic, there were the usual concerns about increasing tuition fees. There was a push for renewed action on climate change and at our own University of Guelph that took the form of a push to get the school to divest from fossil fuels, a fight that was eventually won. There was also a mental health crisis. A piece on Narcity in late 2018 painted a pretty grim picture of the mental health support at the U of G. And this was a piece that resonated with post-secondary students across the province because they were stressed. That stress hit even harder in 2019 when the provincial government under Doug Ford passed the Student Choice Initiative, which allowed students to opt out of funding a long list of campus groups from student governments to the student press and student clubs. The court would later decide that the Student Choice Initiative was unconstitutional, but it took a lot of time and a lot of advocacy by groups like the Canadian Federation of Students Ontario to get there. And by the time that the Ontario government finally abandoned the matter, there were other bigger fish to fry. COVID-19 not only created new challenges for post-secondary students, they exacerbated the old problems. Things like housing, mental health, the cost of living, food insecurity, and the cost of education itself. On top of that, there's still the existential threat of climate change and the fight to create more social and economic equality. Student interests reflect a wide diversity of issues, so let's talk to someone who knows the students. So this week on the Guelph Politicast, we're joined by Mitra Yakubi, who will talk about why it feels like students are being ignored on the campaign trail, how student issues are multifaceted and intersectional, and why climate change is still the most important issue for students this election. We also talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has built resiliency in young people, how there are still gaps in that resiliency that need to be addressed by better mental health support, and how Ontario's young people are often unseen among the frontline workers often hailed by all the political parties. And finally, we will discuss how food insecurity may be the underappreciated issue of this campaign, how the CFS are working to make sure students are seen this election, and how they'll fight for student issues during the next government. So I caught up with Mitra Yakubi earlier this week via Zoom. Mitra Yakubi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, to begin with, and I think I can probably guess the answer, but since um, you're in your chair and I'm in mine, I'll ask the question. Uh, are students feeling seen this election? I think overall, we feel like there isn't specifically like any party that's like seeing 
students in the way that we need to be seen there's a lot of issues that are impacting students because like we need to recognize that like we're multi-dimensional and we we have intersections in in our lives um but i'm not sure if student issues are at the face front in this election Mm -hmm. it's interesting you should mention intersections um because i think any group and this goes for a lot of groups that we think that they're kind of a, a homogenous mass that there's one set of issues for group a there's one set of issues for group B and so on and so forth. So what are some of the intersections um, students are are worried about? Like where 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 are kind of like student concerns and more general concerns of the Ontario population kind of the same? Yeah, totally. Um, Well, there's several things. And that's why I wanted to talk about like the intersection of these issues, recognizing that like students are also workers. Students Mm. are also, um, you know, they're, they're students, they're caregivers. Um, they are, they're looking for housing, they're renters, and and there's so many different experiences that students have that there isn't just like one thing um, that they're really like focusing on in this election in particular, but like also in the years to come. Um, So I guess like one thing that there's a few things, um, and I'm sure we're going to (laughs) have some time to go through them. uh, But the first thing that I think we're worried about is just really climate justice and the Mm. climate crisis that we're in right now. Um, thinking about the fact that like the climate crisis is like it's urgent and it's actually an existential issue for our generation. I can't really think about the future without like having like worrying about the climate and like getting that climate anxiety, thinking about like the rising sea levels, you know, the forest fires that we see and like the biodiversity loss and all these things that are happening. That's because of the climate crises and we know it's happening, but it's only going to get worse if it's not addressed, right? If we don't have a provincial government that's going to take a significant action for the climate crisis, we're only gonna get to like worse places and it's only going to impact and have bigger impacts on our communities and like mm-hmm. our like in humanity overall. Um, and just like thinking about Ontario specifically, recognizing that like we haven't even reached the targets and goals that we had set for ourselves. Um, so I'm sure like the, I'm sure you know, but there was a target <laughs> of 50% emission um, that didn't really, that's not really met. And the way that we're progressing, we're not even going to reach 20%. Uh, to me, that's a little bit like, it's a little bit scary and daunting because the government needs to take climate crisis seriously, right? And they need to find ways to meet with the national targets of like that 40% emission reduction to make sure that like we have a future, we can think of a future. Um, And right now that's like a huge priority for students. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think back to the pandemic, like before the pandemic, when we had that climate strike and we saw like students at the face front um, advocating for climate justice, because like we need to make sure that we're focusing on this, not just now, but like, for the years to come. Before we move on to other intersections, um, do you think that there is enough, um, or, or do you, you know, in, in so much as is climate and in being treated as an important issue, or is it being treated in an, as an important issue in the way that students like? I guess maybe that's that could be almost seen as two different things because I think we we've seen that for young people, um, climate change feels more real than maybe for people my age or even older than me um I guess like to think about it like we Mm. need to think about climate crisis like 
as a whole. Um, I think it's going to obviously impact folks in different capacities and things like that. But climate justice as a whole needs to be like made a priority and recognize that like, yes, it's going to have different um, levels of severity and impact on different communities and different folks and things like that. But it still needs to be like at the center of it. And we need to have like a tangible plan to make sure that like we're moving towards those goals that are going to allow us to imagine a future. Um, It's difficult for students to think ahead of you know, think ahead and, and plan and things like that. When we know that there's a climate crisis that's mm-hmm. scheduled to get worse. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, no, it just, it, 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 it speaks to, um, I think, you know, even the Green Party to an extent, and I'm speaking of here in Guelph, our own MPP, Mike Schreiner, um, climate change doesn't feel like it is, I mean, again, it's one of these kind of intersection points where you can say housing and, and climate intersect and, um, you know, things like transportation and building new highways that obviously has a climate component to it as well. But in terms of like just being like an out front issue, even the polls say and, you know, I guess depending on how they, they skew age wise, um, climate isn't a priority does, or doesn't feel like a priority in this campaign. Yeah. I agree with you. And I definitely like I've heard this from students on the floor as well. Like it doesn't seem like it's made a priority, but Mm. it definitely should be a priority because how are we going to imagine, you know, what Ontario is going to look like or what we're going to do and things like that if we have this crisis at hand, right? We don't even know what the next like 20 years is going to look like. I don't know what kind of, you know, earth I'm passing on to the next generation and things like that. So I think it's shameful that it's not a priority because it needs to be. Mm. Um, And I think there's a lot of really rad organizing that students and and other organizations are doing to make sure that it is somewhat of a priority. Would you mind speaking? I mean, just for yourself, I mean, how, how does like concern about, as you said, like, what does the earth look like in 20 years? Um, How, I mean, how would your life be different or how would you, how would you thinking about your future how would you be thinking about your future differently? I guess is the way I want to put this. If climate was less of a concern. That's a great question. I think right now when I think of my future and this is just like, I'm a very anxious person. So (laughs) naturally I have a lot of like climate anxiety. Like when I think about the future, I can't help but think about like, am I even like, going to have this water you know am I even going to be able to breathe this air in the same way like it's like it's it seems like it's not a big deal but like it's these like little things that I'm thinking about like will you know will my kids and my grandkids and things like that be able to have access to the water that I have will they be able to breathe that like air that I breathe in um or is the quality going to get so bad that there is going to be like alternatives and and you know like privatization and things like that so that's just me in a in a bigger picture just thinking about how scary it can get if we don't address the climate crises um, because it can have so many different impacts on myself but also for the folks that are coming after me Mm -hmm. let's look to another intersection i can seem kind of scary which is i you you know you mentioned it housing um you know uh, a lot of students um take part in the uh, the rental market, you know, they're looking for places to live off campus. And uh, I think you you would agree um, students make a pretty uh, attractive target for people who want to, you know, gouge and uh, charge the maximum for rent. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, I think thinking about housing, uh, and I'm so glad you tied it in, uh, but housing is a priority for students this election, like it is every single election. Um, <laughs> housing is a human right. I don't think I have to like any, you know, like clarify that in any way, but mm-hmm. uh, housing prices being on the rise and things like that, it makes it so much less accessible for students to be able to, you know, be on the housing market. And there's like so many different experiences that they're having um, and tying that in with like, you know, it's, it's housing. That's an issue. There's also the increasing rent, which is, which is scary because like it's, it's increasing and it's increasing in a wage that doesn't really allow for students to have a place that's like livable, that they're able to like rent and, and live in, in a, in a safe condition. Mm-hmm. Um, so and now thinking about like the fact that there isn't higher minimum wages and there isn't affordable housing units, it's just like much more difficult for them to be able to even have a space that's safe enough for them to do what they need to do, but also continue their like education. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like this election, the provincial government needs to find ways to support students in different ways. Um, so whether that's like rent controls, whether that's providing like affordable housing or whether that's like thinking about the minimum wage, thinking about the safer working conditions so that students can find different ways to continue to find places to live and live safely. Yeah, a a lot of students, of course, have part-time jobs and those part-time jobs uh, are in the service sectors. They're working at restaurants, they're working at uh, stores and uh, different retail facilities and um, rec centers, of course, and uh, you know, what are all those places? Uh, well, they're, they're kind of frontline services. So are not uh, students, aren't there a lot of students, frontline workers is what I'm getting at, Mitra. There is. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot. Um, and I think they're so valuable. Like I think about, like personally, I think about all the workers, all the workers, including student workers, that was at the face front, making sure that like we were operating as a province during this mm. pandemic and i'm so thankful for what they do um and students made up a big portion of that like they were frontline workers mm-hmm. going along with that because i mean this ties into the pandemic it, it occurred to me in preparing for this interview that the class of 2022 uh who just graduated they were the last class of students who had a year of school that wasn't affected by the pandemic <laughs> so <laughs> um can you talk a bit about how covid has changed the student experience over the last 3 years and um maybe how the kids who are going to be coming out of university the next few years are might be different from the kids who uh you know have never had to deal with I say kids cuz I'm old but young people <laughs> young people who haven't had to go through uh, a year at university or college without having to worry about masking and vaccines and and COVID and all that? Um, I think like overall, it was a unique experience. Mm. Um, My term, like at my local and things like that started with the pandemic. um, And I recently just like finished. So I got to see like the whole, you know, where we had two weeks off from school and everybody was kind of like, whoa, two weeks off. Um, And then we went to like online learning and then we had some sort of a return back to campus that was a little bit hybrid and now a full return. Um, I think the, 
I think that experience itself was challenging in so many different ways because mm-hmm. we had to navigate through a pandemic while thinking of different ways to keep ourselves, but also our communities safe. Um, so oftentimes, like there was a lot of adaptation, right? Whether that's in your classrooms, whether it's, you know, for a student-run organization to rethink about how they're going to provide services or events um, or think of like for everyday students like how do you make connections with the person that's sitting next to you but also making sure that like you're respecting their space and you're making sure that like it's as safe as possible so um there was a lot of things that went into it and I think the pandemic really impacted students like experience of the campus life Mm -hmm. um it makes me so sad that they didn't get to experience all the really cool events and things like that that there was on campus um but also recognizing that that was necessary because it wasn't safe to hold, um, you know, gatherings and there was limitations and those limitations were necessary to make sure that they were as safe as possible. So I think they missed out on um, a little bit of like the campus life and campus experience and connecting and networking. Um, but again, that was necessary in a lot of ways to make sure that they were as safe as possible. Also connecting with communities. Um, you know, if you're, someone who comes to Guelph for school or, you know, not just Guelph, but, you know, Waterloo, Kingston, uh, different places, Ottawa, uh, even Toronto, you know, you are connecting to um, not just the campus, but the the community around the campus as well. And if you're taking classes from home, uh, you're not getting that additional connection to the surrounding community either. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's such a great point because I think, you know, Again, like I said, we're intersectional, we have multidimensional lives, and it's important to recognize that like those connections are so valuable. Being able to, you know, know what you're um what someone else is doing at another campus or being able to connect to community members um within your like within your university is like so valuable. And I think a lot of students were not able to experience that because of the pandemic. And and although, you know, virtually you try to connect with folks, and I think that it had its benefits, like being virtual and connecting with a lot of folks in like different regions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for myself, I was able to be in meetings with folks from like Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Uh, and that was super rad. But I think just like the immediate community it was really difficult to connect to them and like do what we do all the time and make sure um, and like make sure we're connected. That was a little bit difficult. That's so interesting that you feel more cut off from your local community, but you feel more connected to the the more broader Canadian student community as a result of COVID. Like not, not exact, not really, but like mm. in a way, I feel like the virtual setting did make some communications a little bit easier. Mm. Um, obviously, it was difficult for us to do the things that we normally did, like you know going out to your local community for an event or something like that, that was more difficult if it was especially in person um, because we weren't able to hold things in person. But I think there was still the possibility of connecting with folks virtually that I think is, 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 it was good. We were able to still some way find ways to make connections, whether that was like locally or. Right. You know, talking about all this, the challenges of the last few years, the challenges facing young people in in the immediate, not too distant future. I hear this all the time from people about how young people today being more empathetic, being more inclusive, being more welcoming has made them soft. But as we've been talking the last several minutes, what I'm hearing is 
the last few years and, and concerns about what's happening in the future has actually made our young people pretty hard. You know, the, the, the reality and, and the possibility of what's coming in the future has probably made stronger young people than a lot of people would imagine. Would you, would you agree with that? I think in a lot of ways that like in a lot of ways, students are more, um, I don't want to say resilient, but they are, mm. they are resilient in their own ways because they've had to navigate a totally different world. I'm not sure, you know, when the last pandemic was that happened, but <laughs> students went through a pandemic um, and shout out to them for being able to like put through, like go through a pandemic, but like also find different ways to, you know, do what they need to do as students, but also like with the rest of their lives, continuing with their families, um, whether that's like working, providing care and things like that. And also recognizing that when they were going through this time, some of the challenges that existed pre-pandemic continue to exist on our campuses or off our campuses, right? Like when I think about like food insecurity, when I think about Mm. the high cost of education and things like that, those still continue to be an issue um, for students, but they still found ways to, you know, get through it and, and, and things like that. Right. Food insecurity is another one of these topics we didn't touch on because I, I know at the University of Guelph here, there's been a student food bank for years and they recently added uh, a community fridge in the, in the student union, the main floor of the, the student center. Um, which speaks to an increasing problem, um, not a, a problem that is sort of decreasing, that if you're, you're, you're throwing in more resources to help students who are food insecure, the, the, clearly the problem is persisting and getting worse and not getting better. Yeah. And, and I definitely agree with that. I think that's one of the reasons why like this election Students are calling for the for parties and and for the government to really make student food security a priority. Mm. Um, Like I said, like you mentioned, like there is an additional resource that's being added because there's clearly, you know, this this issue that exists on our campuses. Um, And I'm a very like statty person. So, like, I'll throw some stats at you. Okay. (laughs) And if they're too confusing or anything, you let me know. Um, But like based on some of the research that we've done, um, we figured out that 74% of international students are food insecure. Um, I think that's shameful because there is... Sorry, sorry, did you say 70%? Yeah, 74% of international students are food insecure. Seven and a half out of 10 international students are food insecure, just to to let that sink in. Yeah, exactly. So that 74% is, is I think, a huge number. And it's a number that speaks to all of us. And it speaks very loudly. When we think about like international students, I'm thinking about the high cost of education and how like in Ontario, we're one of the highest tuition fee paying like provinces. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, being an international student, you're paying three to four times more than a domestic student. So ultimately, a lot of international students are finding it really, really difficult to do all the other necessities and, and providing the other necessities that they need to do to live. So it sucks that like, you know, we're in a place where students have to choose between like eating and doing everything else that they need to do. Because mm-hmm. without proper nutrition, you know, you're not going to be able to do your work. You're not going to be able to study. You're not going to be able to, you know, communicate and, and you know, network, play and do all those necessary things that you need to do, um, not just as a student, but, but as a person. Mm-hmm. You said something that clicked with me because it made me think about another issue that may be going um, uh, underappreciated in this election. You talked about the resiliency of students, but you said resilient in their own way, which 
makes me wonder how many students are being forced to find resiliency on their own because of a lack of uh, proper support in, in areas like mental health. Yes. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think I've personally, I've never like prided myself in being like resilient. Like if I'm resilient, mm. there's a reason for that. Um, and it would have been better if there was like support so that I would have, I wouldn't have to go through that experience by myself and tying it into the issue of mental health on our campuses, but also off our campuses, recognizing that like students were put in a very difficult situation dealing with the pandemic but also having to find resources and like having to navigate their academics is so difficult um and i think there is never enough support when it comes to mental health it's always something that's like talked about uh but we haven't really found ways to actively proactively um address the mental health crisis on our campuses and how students deal with them as they go through their academic journey mm -hmm. And this is a, an issue, and I know it's an issue at U of G, not to keep bringing things back to University of Guelph, but, uh, you know, students were having mental health crises before the pandemic. This is not a new phenomenon either. Exactly. It's not a new phenomenon. Um, but I think a lot of the times, like, the resource, like, it was it's always been really bad. There has been a mental health crisis in, in many institutions and universities and, and colleges and things like that. And it's only has exacerbated over the pandemic. Right. Um, and I don't, I think universities and institutions need to do better. They need to find different ways to support students that meets their needs. So when I talk about meeting their needs, it's recognizing that students are again, multidimensional. They have different lived experiences. So how do we connect students to resources that meets their needs? Recognizing that like what might work for me, Adam may not work for you. Right. Um, and how do we make sure that like when we're providing care, it's care that suits them and it's care that's like, that's 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 multi that's intersectional that's care that is um open and safer and in a way that that meets their needs it, worth pointing out too that if you're having trouble finding an affordable place to live if you're having trouble buying food because you you don't have as uh the money if you're having trouble finding work uh if you're not getting paid enough to do the work those are also obvious contributors to mental health concerns as well exactly <laughs> And, and you hit it right on, like those experiences are all tied in. And that goes back to, you know, students having like multiple different things that they're, they're going through all at the same time while being a student. Mm -hmm. So yes, when we have these like really, really high tuition fees, it's going to have an impact on our mental health. When I think about like the fact that like in Ontario, we pay one of the highest tuition fees, we pay, I think, 58% more for an undergrad degree than the rest of the country. Like those are things that are going to contribute and are going to put stress on myself as a student because financially that, that's a financial burden. And then I think about like housing and how difficult it may be for a lot of students to find a place that's affordable, a safer and a livable space. Um, mm -hmm. And then tying that back into the fact that they've been working, we've been working throughout the pandemic, um, but are those places safe? Are we being compensated for the work that we're doing? Um, and are we being supported and not exploited and things like that? Again, yeah, those all contribute um, to the mental health and well-being of students. I would be remiss if I uh, didn't address this factor in the election, which is uh, the CFS took the previous government to court or, or 
um, was a party in taking the previous government to part around the student choice initiative. Um, a lot of the things we're talking about, food insecurity, protecting student renters, um, you know, mental health services, like just like even just like student groups, things that, you know, help people have that positive campus experience, which probably has an effect on improving mental health, getting to hang out with fellow students and in, in different environments. All of that comes, not all of it, but a great deal of it comes out of student fees, which the current or the there's technically no current government, but the the the, the government that uh, is running to be reelected um, rolled back or attempted to roll back at one point. It was successfully fought in court. But I mean, are you concerned and, and not to, not to get not to try and get partisan, but um, are, are you concerned that, let's say, a future government might come for, um, you know, student groups again? That's a great question. And I think I'm going to just like highlight something that you said that sticks with me because Hmm. student groups and organizations and campus groups and clubs and societies, they do such an important job on our campuses that it's shameful that that was even a thing. Because like we said, we talked about, for example, the food banks and how, you know, they weren't even seen as an essential service, but they do such an essential work for students on our campuses. We talked about like how they provide those spaces to network and connect to community and find different ways to navigate through their academic journeys, but while also making advantage of, you know, the other things that exist on our campuses and how they're so important in themselves. Um, what, what I'm hoping or what students are hoping in this election is that, you know, the new government or the parties that are running um, enact, enact a legislation that actually protects the autonomy and funding of student unions, student groups, and organizations. And I say that because it's important for us to recognize that they all provide such a vital job to our campuses. They do really important things. And, and without a lot of them, the campuses wouldn't you know, exist the way that they do. Um, I think about food banks, but I'm also thinking about myself as a first year going into my first student group uh, event and how I felt, I felt like I was part of something where I felt like I was part of a community. Um, And I'm really hoping that that legislation can protect students' democratic rights to organize, provide services, and do crucial advocacy for their members because they're really important. It makes me realize, too, that, you know, we were talking about at at the beginning of the podcast about, you know, our students feeling seen um, are the, you know, the the powers that be listening. I mean, that that court case proves that, yes, um, you know, the the powers that be do see students. Students can be successful in in advocating. You you can beat the proverbial man or establishment or or whatever term you would like to use. Um, I think what I want to say is that like students are so powerful and there's like a strength in numbers and I'm sure like we've seen it across different actions we've seen it at the climate strike Um, we've seen so many students do a lot of really rad work and it's because we work together we share our issues um, and we find different ways to make sure that like we're heard and we're seen and and I'm so thankful to like be here to talk about all the rad things that you know students across Ontario are doing but also so sorry um, but also think about, but also think about different ways that we can continue to push and make sure that we're a priority during this election 
Well, somebody's clearly very interested in talking about all the rad things uh, the CFS is doing. So I, I, I will ask the question um, with the election on uh, what kind of efforts uh, does, does the CFS have underway to sort of keep students front of mind to get students active and, and mobilized in, in the campaign? Yay, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I thought you would never ask. Uh, well, the CFS Ontario office um, has been really, really busy. And as you know, um, we're just transitioning into our roles. So there is, um, so I'm, I'm very new, but uh, we've been working on a campaign called Demand Our Future. And it has a lot of asks that are focused on some of the issues that we talked about today. So anywhere from, you know, climate justice, thinking about free and accessible education, decent work and ensuring that folks have those like safer spaces to do the work that they need to do, but also be compensated for it. Um, it addresses food insecurity, um, housing, the funding structure and students right to organize. Uh, it, it was launched yesterday. Uh, so I highly encourage you folks to check it out if you haven't gotten the chance to at CFS Ontario or on our website. Uh, but we're also making sure that we're connecting with member locals. So that's the different, you know, university both unions, but also the student groups and organizations that are on campus that are doing really rad work and empowering them to uh, be on their campuses and talk about those issues that are important to them for this election um, and support them in any way they can. So in any way we can, so they can go out to the polls and vote. Um, it's important. I know it's sometimes difficult to navigate through you know, how do you vote? Where do you vote? And what does the process look like? And we're really hoping uh, CFS Ontario that we make that information available to them so students can do their research and go out to the polls and vote. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is an election where um, students are all at home in their their home writing. So um, if if, you know, there's no kind of post-secondary institution where they live, they can still make uh, the issues of students matter in their local area by by pushing them locally. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Mitra, you are a very busy woman. And uh, as, as people can hear from your phone ringing off the hook, but uh, I appreciate you using some of your time today to talk to me and uh, good, good luck uh, for the next year in your new position. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again soon. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry about my phone call. It was my mom, <laughs> but <laughs> I really appreciated this chat. Um, hopefully we can you know, do this again. But thank you so much for having me and for all your great questions. And once again, that was Mitra Yakubi. To learn more about the Canadian Federation of Students Ontario, go to their website at cfsontario.ca. You can follow the CFS advocacy efforts on their social media feed at CFSON and by following the hashtag DemandOurFuture. If you are interested in hearing from the candidates themselves, we're hosting all the Guelph candidates over the next couple of weeks on Open Sources Guelph. That's Thursdays at 5 p.m. on CFRU, or you can download the Open Sources podcast on Mondays. We will also be hosting the candidates running in the writing next door, on the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast, which you can download on this feed every Saturday. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, 
you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can also follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly do that and get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.